0: Hello and welcome to Scott Rock, where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie, and me, Cal McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who we have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy checks. Uh, so, hello and welcome to everybody that is watching us tonight. This is our very first Scott Rock Live podcast. Um, we're doing this on Facebook Live, on the Microwing Scotland, Climb Scotland and Tyso page, so hopefully we're going to get loads of people watching this um, and we've got some pretty cool people to chat to. Uh, I'm your host, I'm Robert McKenzie, Uh, myself and my colleague Callum, we work for Clown Scotland, we run the Scott Rock podcast. Unfortunately, Callum couldn't make it tonight, uh, but that's okay, he's got a face for radio anyway, so um, tonight we're joined by three absolute legends, um, the wonderful Iona Rendell, (laughs) the quiet Iona Rendell. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, our resident Everest conqueror, Molly Hughes, <laughs> and, oh, do I mention the moustache? No. <laughs> our adventure photographer, uh, Hamish Frost. Um, <laughs> these guys are all inspirational mountain people, um, but they're also just awesome people in general, um, great to chat to, and uh, they're also all uh, on the Tyso Supported By team. Um, who Tyson, along with Meitner in Scotland and Clem Scotland are supporting us for this Facebook Live, so big thank you to them. Um, Like I said, this is our first live interview. I'm not nervous at all. First of all, thank you to the three of you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having us. No worries.
0: My pleasure. Good to be here. (laughs) Sitting at home safely. Let's do some introductions to kick off for anybody that doesn't uh, know all of your great exploits. And like I said, please don't be modest. Big yourselves up. Let our audience know just how big legends you guys actually are. Um, We're going to do this slightly differently. Iona is going to introduce Hamish. Hamish is going to introduce Molly. And Molly is going to introduce Iona. So Iona, uh, do you want to kick us off? Who is Hamish?
1: So Hamish, I only know Hamish through Kaizo, but he is an incredible, outstanding adventure photographer. Travels to some of the furthest flung parts of the world, taking amazing photos of people um, and landscapes in uh, the outdoors and adventure. And, and extremely inspiring and very, very humble and modest. Um, but I would definitely recommend following Hamish on social media for, for all of the things that he posts, the places that he goes in non COVID times. <laughs>
2: That's very kind. Thank you. Iona. <laughs> very <laughs> it's generous.
1: Definitely
2: not enough. <laughs> uh, Molly is an absolute legend in uh, in the climbing community. Um, she has a pretty serious list of achievements to her name already. Um, I'm sure there'll be many more to come. Uh, but she's uh, climbed Everest, summited Everest from both sides. She skied solo from the coast of Antarctica to the South Pole. Uh, And most importantly, I've I've shared quite a few hill days with Molly, and she's just good fun to spend days in the hills with, um, uh, and a really good, uh, probably fun person.
3: Oh, thanks, mate.
2: Right, (laughs) this is after Molly. Molly, we had a chat before the call, and Molly spent, the first thing she did was came on and give me abuse about the moustache. So uh, (laughs) that's all right. That's
3: not anyone with that that thing on your face, Hamish. Thank you. I'll stop. Um, Thank you Hamish, that was very kind. Uh, So Iona. Um, Iona by day is a nurse um, but by the weekends and the evenings she is an absolute adventure queen. Um, Iona started getting into the outdoors three years ago, four years ago, properly doing big kind of hill days and she started uh, a Facebook group called Iona's Ventures which started small and I don't think you even envisaged how big it would get, did you? Uh, but now it's got, what, 4,000 members? Yes. Yeah, 4,000 members um, of lovely, lovely people that just want to get out into the outdoors and enjoy it. And Iona supports them by organising group walks and supporting them in all sorts of different ways. Um, and she's done, yeah, amazing things for for getting people into the outdoors and, and the accessibility of it all. Um, yeah, she's also an absolute legend. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Molly. <laughs> oh,
0: Look at you—the rosy cheeks, all embarrassed now. I know
1: I am a bit. I mean, Molly's an actual legend, and Hamish is a total legend. I feel very um honored to be included alongside them tonight.
0: Well, the the three of you are all very inspirational people, and it, it's an honor for me to be able to sit down and chat with you guys. Um, and I hope everyone listening and watching along uh, agrees with me. Um, I am going to get one um community question out of the way uh, early because there was a lot of people asked this question Molly how old were you when you did Everest for the first
3: time? Uh, The first time I was 21 from the south side and 26 from the north side.
0: Wow wow yeah we got a lot of people asking that question and I, I, I will be honest I didn't even know the answer. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, like I said, seriously impressive people. Um, but let's uh, let's dive into some questions. Um also obviously all you guys know each other um from from many things, but uh, you're all supported by TISO. Um and I think a lot of people hear the term supported by um or ambassador or sponsored athletes, and they kind of they don't really know exactly what kind of goes into that, what it means um how you got it what what it allows you to do and so kind of and obviously contracts for you guys are all different and what you're expected to do and what you actually get out and do is very different so from your perspective um what does what does being on that team mean to you guys um uh, what do you want to be able to do with it
1: (laughs) for me um when like molly said i only really started properly um, hill walking about four and a half years ago so it was it was a very unknown thing to me it wasn't something that I'd grown up doing I didn't have anybody around me that um, could kind of guide me or help me and when Taiso first contacted me it was about sort of helping me get some staple bits of kit for me to access the outdoors but it's been so much more than that it's been even the first time I tried crampons and winter walking was with the the Taiso group and we did a a group walk and that was the very first time I'd ever put crampons on and Molly was there and a few of the the others were there to sort of help me and explain what to do and um, just felt like in a really sort of safe supported environment and it's been a lot of things like that and Taiso really helped to promote my walking group and um, I recently set up a social enterprise to provide um outdoor skills courses and Paiso have helped to promote that as well so right. I get to write a few articles and things for them here and there and review some kit but I think a lot of people assume that the, the most important thing is about getting free kit and stuff but for me it's more about the actual support and the people that are behind the, the organization that are there to, to really just pick you up and, and give you guidance and things and that's the thing that I appreciate the most anyway. Nice.
0: Nice. Um, what what are you able to do with with Tysol? You say they give you loads of support, um, but what do you want to be able to achieve with with the time that you've got with them? I
1: think for in terms of what I want to get out of it, it's about sort of them helping me to show people that anybody can get outside and get outdoors and access um, the hills because like molly said i'm a nurse during the day and you know i'm not a full-time adventurer i'm not paid to, to be an athlete i'm definitely not an athlete <laughs> so it's it's that side of things um, showing that anybody can do it and that's sort of my mission and Tiso helped help to, to promote that as well great yeah um so i guess my role is slightly different to these guys
3: uh, mainly because i actually work for taizo so i work part-time for taizo i'm in their head office uh usually two or three days a week um well not at the moment but in in normal times um and i work within the marketing department and i actually kind of ran the ambassador program for the last few years looking after these guys organizing trips that we do uh kind of co-ops with different brands and photo shoots um so that's been really good but then also i've worked at various times as an ambassador for taizo um, most notably they helped to sponsor my Everest 2017 expedition um, on the north side from tibet and that was incredible to have their support because this company has a huge history on my Everest uh, Graham Taizo was on it in the in the 70s chris Taizo was in it on it on 2000 um, so they got this big history of being on the mountain themselves but also supporting expeditions so having that support in 2017 was, was incredible. It got me to the top of that mountain. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of my role. Um, and as an employee, yeah, I love working with, with guys like this and, and try and make it as accessible as possible and, and do some cool projects together.
2: Um, yeah, I think the main thing for me is something I own I on briefly, which is, is that both myself and Tizer, I guess, share a common interest in wanting to encourage more people to get out in the outdoors and explore the Scottish Highlands. Um, I mean, that's probably one of the main reasons I started taking photos on my days out in the hills um, was basically to try, I, I kind of discovered that the Scottish Highlands were this amazing place where you can go out and have these amazing adventures. Um, and I wanted to try and encourage friends and other people I knew to, to go and do that. And the way to, that I could do that easily was through taking photos and posting them on social media. Um, and 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 that's something that Tizo actively try and encourage as well. So I guess it, it gives me the opportunity to get my photos out to a wider audience uh, and do things like blog posts and that sort of thing that they help encourage other people to get out and and do the sort of thing that I'm doing. Um, so yeah, there's a common interest there, and, uh, and and obviously they also help. They're very helpful with bits and pieces of the kit, where and when I need it. Um, I'm quite good about, putting... <laughs> I, I test kit to destruction quite a lot in what I do, um, and they've helped me out in quite a few tight spots a few times before when I've needed bits and pieces. So, yeah.
0: Grant, Grant, um, how did uh, how did it begin with Tyso for, for you guys? Like, um, did, was it something that, that you sought out because you needed the support, or or did they come to you and offer uh, offer help?
2: Uh, for me, for me, they came and offered uh, offered it to me. Um, this was actually before I turned professional with the photography. Um, it was back when I was working for SSE, um, but I was kind of considering taking the jump. So yeah, they came they came and approached me about potentially um, getting involved in the supported by scheme. Uh, and it was little things like that, that I think gave me a bit of confidence eventually to take the take the jump and turn professional myself. Is, is having that kind of support from a, a well established body like Kaiser?
0: Yeah, yeah, nice.
3: That's cool. For me, um, I started working in their shop. So I moved to Scotland six Uh years ago and I was in Edinburgh and I needed a job Um, and I'd worked for, I don't know if I should say it, but another retailer (laughs) down (laughs) south (laughs) for a while. Um, And I came to Scotland and I was, you know, I needed a job. So I went straight into Tyso because I'd heard it was, you know, the best place in Scotland if you want to be in outdoor retail. Um, And and I worked there for a couple of years on Rose Street Um,
1: and then after that moved up to head office. Um, and then yeah, got involved with kind of projects from there. A message from someone at Taiso just not long after I'd set up the walking group on Facebook, and I think I'd maybe tagged Taiso in a few things, and I'd actually met one of the the other supported by ambassadors, um, Rachel, who's also an adventure photographer. And uh, she had said to me about this sort of ambassador program that she was on and she'd suggested to me that I should look into it. And when I would searched Taiso, because I was so new to it, I'd never even heard of Taiso before. <laughs> I didn't know what Taiso was. So when I'd searched Taiso and looked it up and I saw that you know you could kind of apply to this sort of program I thought oh I'll just type something in there and I think I said something about wanting to change the world and get people outdoors or something ridiculously fanciful like that Um, and then months later I got this message from somebody at Taiso. And I said, oh, I actually applied a little while ago and they said that they'd um, seen my social media and things and seen the walking group and and would I be interested on coming on board? So I'd sort of done this application thinking, well, there's not a chance in hell that it'll come to anything. And I think it was possibly, I don't know, Molly will maybe have more details, but I think it was maybe a combination of that and um, things that I've been tagging and posting on social media that had brought them to kind of get in contact with me. So that was pretty cool.
3: Nice. nice. Yeah, I remember that the first time I know that we met in the, in the cafe at Tyza and I think it was me, <laughs> me and Colin and we came in for a chat <laughs> and it was fun, but yeah, I think we just saw how passionate you were about what you were doing and about the outdoors. And also I think within an ambassador program, it's great to have a big variety of people Like you don't want just the amazing high-end photographers like Hamish. <laughs> who were great and wonderful to have on a program Um, or the world record holders like (laughs) (laughs) Molly but yeah you know what I mean we want it to be as accessible as possible and you were just absolutely Champing. cool
0: so um it's nice it's cool to see that you know the the team that you guys have got that you guys are all so close so it's really nice to see that within even a big organization like Taiso you guys are you guys are like a little family. It's nice. Um, slightly bigger question then. Um, so right now, uh, Taiso Mountain in Scotland, uh, they've got the big uh, hashtag thick winter campaign on the go. Um, it's aimed at giving people good advice, uh, good knowledge on planning and safety um, in the mountains so that they can get out um, and and be safe when they're out there uh, and make the right decisions um, when when it counts um if you haven't if anybody watching this hasn't seen the think winter campaign yet this is my shameless self-promotion plug go and check it out hashtag think winter and um, it'll be all over their facebook pages and on their website so yeah go check it out um, but while this campaign is providing lessons uh to make people sort of better prepared when they get out there um what are some of the biggest lessons that you guys have learned in your time from starting out to to where you are now um Maybe things you've you've had to learn the hard way or um, sort of big life lessons you've learned and um, obviously you guys have been doing this for vastly different times so um yeah it'd be interesting to hear what, what the biggest biggest moments were
1: so i am not afraid to say that obviously i was a bit of total rookie starting out probably did lots of things the wrong way and I would never ever pretend that I knew exactly what I was doing from the start because I definitely didn't and I've, I've learned a lot of lessons. One thing that sticks in my mind that I do think is really important especially with the Think Winter campaign was sort of early spring one year I was visiting friends on the Isle of Skye and I did a hike on my own up Munro and even though it was nice weather at that time of year there's a lot of snow still at the top and I'd said to I'd said to my boyfriend that I was going out hiking that day and I'd obviously said to the people that I was visiting uh, that I was going out hiking did this big day load the snow at the top but that was fine and came back down obviously spent the evening with the friends that I was staying with and hadn't said to my partner I hadn't sent him a message to say that that was me home and that I was safe and of course he didn't hear from me all evening was really worried that i was lost up a mountain or had fallen off the mountain um he'd tried phoning me but my phone was on silent just like next to me but I couldn't see it in the house and got to the point where he contacted my family saying, I haven't heard from Iona. I think I think she's lost on a mountain. And (laughs) my family, one of my sisters actually knew the friend that I was staying with and sent sent her a message, a really panicked message saying, Boomer hasn't heard from Iona all day what's happened. And you know, we were sitting there eating Chinese or whatever. (laughs) And um, I realised after that, that that's one of the things within the Think Winter campaign and all sort of mountaineering basics is to let someone know where you're going, when you're going and when to expect you back. So I had let them know where I was going and when I was going, but I hadn't let them know when I got back. And that just set everybody panicking. And I felt really guilty because they'd all been so worried and that I was absolutely perfectly fine eating my takeaway afterwards <laughs> but that's that's a really serious point where if I had actually you know something had actually happened to me that would be the point where you would be calling sort of mountain rescue and um, to 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 look for somebody, so that's yeah, one of the, the biggest things that I've learned is just to let somebody know where I am and, and when to expect me back, so that if they don't hear from me, they know to sort of set things in motion.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's definitely one of the most important lessons to learn. And um, just making sure that someone has your back, even when you're going out, even if you're on your own. Yeah, for sure.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question, and I had a bit of a think about it this before. And I didn't really come up with a very good answer um, because I really kind of just thought that every single time I go out in the hills, I learn a little bit more. And I think everyone does, even the top mountain guys that we've got in the UK. Every time you go out, you learn a little bit about looking after yourself, about your kit, about things you should do, things you shouldn't do, about navigation, about weather conditions. Um, So I think it's a constant learning experience. And I'm still absolutely on that journey and I'm still enjoying that journey. Um, I think winter is a different ballgame to summer, and in Scotland, it can get pretty gnarly, um, as, as we all know. Um, so I think one of the biggest tips is just having a lot of caution in winter. Still get out there, enjoy it, but be cautious and be aware of the added dangers around you, of snow and avalanche and cold temperatures and wind chill factors. Um, so yeah, just being a little, I just saw that person in your mirror behind you, Hamish. I enjoyed, enjoyed that. That's my housemate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think just being a little bit more cautious in winter, um, but in a bigger question, I think it was what have we really learned about the outdoors? And I think there's so much more that I've learned apart from navigation and what jacket to take. I think I've learned so much more about like resilience and about how to be confident in myself. And I think these lessons that we get from the outdoors are uh, so much more important than anything else because we can transfer them to the rest of our lives and our normal jobs um so yeah it's is a great place and i would encourage anyone else to, to get out there
0: yeah absolutely agree with that um it, it's interesting you mentioned something there about still being on the, the learning curve and i think that's something that a lot of people kind of forget you know after they've been doing it for a while they start to get a bit slick at things a bit. Uh, overconfident with things and they forget that, that every day is a school day we, we're all still still learning things and um, I'm exactly the same as you I've I've been climbing for a long 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 time now and I'm still learning new things every time I go out and relearning things that I completely forgot because I've been doing this for so long um, so yeah I think it's that's a that's a big thing that people kind of forget is uh to to kind of pay attention to what's going on and learn keep learning keep improving
3: yeah and never get too comfortable um because you know the great outdoors is you know it's got its own thing going on it's got its own weather it's got its own rules um so yeah always having that bit of caution i think
0: yeah yeah absolutely um take note everybody watching this someone who summited everest still says she's learning (laughs) we're never too good how about you hamish
2: Well, this is rubbish because Molly's completely nicked my answer. Uh, (laughs) So I'll I'll just expand on it further. Yeah, I was going to talk about it all being a constant learning process. Um, Yeah, and I think the big thing is just to stay humble. Uh, No matter how many times or how many days you've had out in the mountains, there are always more things you can learn. Um, So I kind of try and make a point of even if the day's gone smoothly and everything's been fine and you've successfully achieved what you set out to achieve, Try and have a think back, and try and take away one point, or one thing that you can maybe learn from the day, or or some some way you can improve your systems, or improve what kit you brought. Whether it's bring, it, whether it's you were brought something that you maybe didn't need, or you didn't bring something that you should have brought and could have needed, um, or whether it's something to do with misjudging the planning, like where the forecasts, or um, uh, or. Um, your route choice for the day. um, Just try and pick out something that you can maybe uh, take away as a bit of a learning point um, and have that little review process at the end of each day. And, and by doing that, you're only going to improve how you perform in the mountains and, um, and keep yourself safer and, and hopefully have more fun as a result.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, The, obviously the Think Winter campaign is kind of based for, People, newbies, thinking about moving from summer activities, maybe doing a bit of new winter activities, but also, you know, like we said, keeping keeping in touch with skills that you haven't practiced that much or um, you, you've kind of forgotten over time. Um, so, what if if someone was brand new to to winter climbing, you know, or or winter mountaineering? once we're allowed to travel again once we're allowed to get back out there but and they're thinking about getting out what's um give, give us one key piece of advice that you'd would, you would give to people
1: I'd say definitely book a skills course because this time last year I did one of Mountaineer in Scotland's uh, one day winter skills courses and I learned absolutely heaps in that day and it's not just about how to use crampons and an ice axe it's also about understanding avalanche forecasts or beginning to understand avalanche forecasts and the weather forecasts and route planning. The people who run those courses are so experienced and so skilled and they're really skilled at delivering the courses which means that even though it's just one day you pack so much information and so much learning into that short space of time and even though it's a year later and I haven't really been able to practice those skills because of lockdown I feel like there's so much more that I know now that I didn't know before that course and yeah I would say definitely book one of those and I think um, in Scotland have had like online webinars that you can book as well so that's a really good sort of alternative resource for still learning even when you're in lockdown and if you're just beginning then there's there's heaps of resources and and so much guidance and information out there so I'd say not being afraid to sort of admit that you're a newbie like me and that you want to learn and that there's loads to learn because there's no point going out there and being too cocky and confident and you know um like molly said it's it's good to be cautious it's good to to plan and to to learn so i would say that's that's one of my biggest tips is just book a course or find somebody to learn from
0: yeah absolutely I agree with that and uh, yeah like you said there's loads of skills courses and stuff on on the mountain scotland website not just for winter stuff, but summer stuff as well. So yeah, anything you want to learn, anything you want to try that's new or any old skills that you want to just keep keep in touch with, yeah, go check it out for sure. Um, how about you, Molly?
3: Yeah, I mean, totally agree with Iona. You, you've got to skill up and at least get some kind of basic winter skills um, because you'll be so much safer and you'll have so much more fun. Um, I guess one top tip from my learning experience would be always, um, always attach your rope to your bag Um, if you can, because one of my first days winter climbing in Scotland, I was out with my friend John Gupta, who's a guide, Hamish knows him quite well as well, and he was taking me up, I I think it's, is it Tower Scoop on the north face of Ben Nevis, that little tiny ice section, Um, and we walked all the way up to the, the, the kind of bottom of that route, and we're getting the ropes out, and I was carrying the rope, and as I like opened the lid of my bag, the rope just disappeared right down the face. And it went about 200 meters all the way down. Um, so that just changed our day completely. And actually, because John's such a legend, he was like, don't worry, I'll, I'll go and get that. And I was like, OK, thanks, mate. And he ran all the way down there and got the rope. Um, so, yeah, always attach your, your rope and, and everything.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I made a mistake uh, was it last a couple of years ago. Um, I was doing Curve Bridge. Nice, easy day. It went up scrambled down curved ridge, got to the bottom, took my bag off to, to put my helmet away and I let go of the bag. It vanished <laughs> over one of the edges down past the waterfall. And If I had something <laughs> attached to it, I might have been able to rescue it a bit easier. Um, so yeah, that's good advice. I might take that.
3: <laughs> gravity is annoying sometimes, isn't
0: it? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. For three people that uh, spend our lives fighting gravity, it's <laughs> a bit annoying. Uh, Hamish?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'd expand on what Iona was saying um, about getting knowledge from other people. Um, It's Yeah, I mean, I guess there are quite a few barriers to entry to doing stuff in the mountains in winter. Um, I mean, there's there's quite a lot of of financial barriers around the cost of equipment and cost of if you want to go on a winter skills course or something like that. So I guess other options are online resources um, or... Uh, there are climbing clubs as well that you can join, uh, which will have other members and they're kind of geared up for teaching people who are perhaps not that experienced to go out and, and do stuff in the hills for the first time. Um, but if you do, if you are in a position where you kind of have to learn yourself uh, or teach yourself or learn, just by going out with friends who are also having their first times out in the hills in winter, start relatively unambitious with your plans just go out there don't have any aspirations to get up the top of a hill but just go out there and sort of have a go with the kit uh, and equipment um and and be prepared to be flexible and change plans if um if things get more serious weather wise or if you start to come into difficulty on the terrain um uh yeah
0: that's um yeah, yeah. No uh yeah like the in, 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 when we're looking at the the plans thing one of the best lessons i have ever learned and I'm, I'm sure you guys all agree is there is no plan a b c they're all plan a's and um, things change you know the the terrain might be diff- more difficult than you thought or easier than you thought the weather might change the conditions might not be what you thought and um, so yeah like have have other alternatives in your mind for what you could do that day not just getting to the top of this hill or whatever um, and they're all plan A's so no no alternative should feel disappointed um, at the end of the day we're all still just going out playing aren't we? Mm.
2: It ties back into what I said earlier as well about the, the continuous review of each day uh, and trying to learn something from each day even if you didn't get up the top of the hill but if you went out and learnt something from your day then that's still a big success
0: um, yeah. yeah, absolutely uh, there's, there's a, a comment coming there, someone describing um, how they went out and Uh, errors were made and they they came home instantly and wrote down what went wrong to learn from that mistake i think that's that's a really good lesson for for people to learn is you know recognize the errors that you make and learn from them even if it takes coming home and writing it in your diary Um, and talking about it with other people as well like i'm sure you guys if you've made errors when you're out in the hill or whatever you talk to other experienced people and, and see what what you can learn from it is that something you guys do
1: yeah I'd say as well that especially for me with the walking group I've maybe organised group walks that people have come on who are far more experienced than me um, and because the group walks are just sort of it's a voluntary social thing it's not me saying that I'm leading because I am definitely not a mountain leader but there's been quite often times where people are more experienced and, and they've been able to to give sort of advice or guidance to people um to sort of learn along the way. And and that's really good. It's it's a, a fun social thing to do, but at the same time picking up on things that that people mention or you know, somebody has a story to tell while you're walking and you sort of learn from their errors and, and their stories from the past. So yeah, it's it's definitely worth talking about. There's no point, especially with social media, I think it's really easy for people to to sort of share the highlights or share the summit photos but it's not all about that like you say you, you don't always have to get to the summit to learn something and that's what what Hamish kind of touched on that you know you'll, you'll always be improving and learning anyway and I think is it, is it summit fever that it's called when people are just determined to get to the top of a mountain and, and that's not what an adventure about, is about. That's not what a big day is about. It's just being out there in the first place and like you say, turning back if you have to or choosing an alternative plan. So I think on social media, it's important to remember that what people always post maybe isn't necessarily the whole truth and there's been a lot more learning and errors and mistakes and, and stories along the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, take social media with a pinch of salt. It's always the highlight reel. Yeah,
2: that, that's a really interesting point, Iron, Actually, that's some some of the some of the best and most useful posts I've seen on social media uh, when it comes to doing stuff in the mountains, particularly in winter, are where people have uh, got into trouble. they maybe I've seen some posts, for example, where people have been caught in avalanches while out of ski touring, and uh, they've come and uh, you know it takes a lot of bravery to do it um but uh, and you're sort of opening yourself up to a lot of judgment but they've gone and described the incident and they've gone and described the mistakes they made they they think they made in the build-up to that incident and how they what potentially led to them getting caught in that avalanche or or having that particular accident happening while climbing or something like that but those kind of posts are really useful for everyone to see on social media because they're they're great learning points and um you can look at that and be like it makes you sort of you can relate what happened to them to a time when you're out in the hills and it might help you make a better decision or, or guide your judgment while out in the hills. So those, yeah, if the, I think if generally we, we kind of foster a, a community online, a, a kind of like mentality online, not to be too judgmental of when people make mistakes in the hills, but instead like, allow a, a kind of um, uh, allow people to put those posts up without being judged, then that's a really helpful thing on the whole to be doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, like you said, a bit of understanding, like the the skills and the equipment that we have uh, to be able to keep ourselves safe out there. We're all developed by people going out and making mistakes and learning from it and, and developing. Um, and we all still need to do that. We all still need to do the trial and error thing and make mistakes and learn from it. Um, obviously, we hope that any mistake people make doesn't, cause injury or or get people into trouble or whatever. But um yeah, like learn from any error that you make and talk about it with, with the community, talk about it with friends um, so that they can also learn with you. Um, one thing Hamish touched on there uh, was, you know, the, the kind of barrier to entry, the going out winter climbing or winter hill walking, that can be a slightly expensive game. Um, I think Molly would be the best person to, to ask about this. Could you give us a quick rundown on... Taizo's uh, hiring equipment.
3: Um, well, don't, don't test me like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, at Taizo equipment, hire is available. The prices, I don't know. Um, but yeah, you can hire boots, mantu boots, crampons, axes, um, paddleboards in the summer, canoes and kayaks, um, All that kind of thing, really. I think Iona's hired it a few times, haven't you? And stuff. Um, I've
1: used the paddle boards and the, the winter winter kit as well so it's it's definitely worth it especially if you're trying something for the first time and you don't know whether it's worth investing or if you can't afford to invest yeah the the higher stuff is is really good yeah totally because kit is expensive especially if you need mountaineering boots and crampons that you're only going to wear in winter
3: um and paddleboards are very expensive so yeah coming in and testing that is, is good also
2: buying lots of stuff secondhand online as well um there's there's quite a lot of good facebook pages like outdoor gear exchange uh and others there's some related to ski touring in the uk where people are constantly selling on secondhand kit that's still in very good condition Uh, and obviously that's good for the environment and it's also a lot cheaper as well some things you probably shouldn't buy secondhand like safety critical kit like ropes and climbing equipment but lots of things like jackets and uh crampons and stuff like that that are still perfectly serviceable that's a good way of getting stuff cheaper
0: yeah absolutely absolutely it's good things to know uh, and the, you also mentioned that there's there's clubs out there that are uh, there with people with members who are experienced and are able to take people out and show them show them ropes you don't have to go out on your own and figure this stuff out alone and um, there's a big list of all the climbing clubs the hill walking clubs in Scotland on the Mountain Scotland website so yeah, if you want to get out there but you don't have people that can take you, clubs are a brilliant way to do that as well, um, so go and check it out. Um, so over, over the last year, over 2020, um, climbing walls have been closed, gyms have been closed, um, indoor facilities have been closed, so there's been a huge boom in people using the outdoors as just a, a way of exercise, a way to escape um, being shut indoors. Um, taking to the hills, taking to the mountains, um, which is brilliant and we, we really hope that we, we see many, if not all of them, continue doing it in the future post-COVID. Um, but a lot of these people have, have come from non-outdoor background um, and may not have much experience in the sort of planning side, the safety side, even the ethics side of things um, especially when it comes to to climbing that the ethics really comes into it um, and you know there, there's a, a little bit of uh, learning still to do there and um, so what would you guys like to see these newbie adventurers um, learn and uh, for the future to, to help them or what would you like to see the the community proactively doing to support these people? being able to get out there safely, plan safely, behaving themselves, being ethical, um, and and just enjoy it. Okay, yeah. Um,
2: so I think I'll talk about the, um, the doing it responsibly side of things, because um, this was something we saw after the first lockdown a lot, um, is that there was a big boom in staycations and there were suddenly loads of people out in the Highlands, out exploring the mountains, camping and everything, which was great. Um, But you did see a lot of people doing, you know, start cutting down trees to start wildfires and leaving all their camping equipment behind afterwards and that kind of thing, which is a bit depressing to see. Um, And I think we'll probably see it again this summer because, you know, there's so much uncertainty about whether people can go abroad on holiday, that kind of thing. So we're going to have the same problems all over again. Um, What there was uh, last summer, you saw a lot of instances of people taking photos of people behaving like this, cutting down trees or, uh, or, or leaving all their camping equipment behind and then putting them on social media and trying to shame people, which I think is probably not a very good, effective method of doing it. Instead, what you should be tr- doing is, I think what we need to focus on sort of trying to educate people that uh, this is how you should behave in these quite fragile, delicate environments, um, rather than trying to shame them and ostracize them from the community um so it's quite a difficult thing to do but i think it basically requires everyone who is out in the hills if they see examples of this sort of behavior sort of very politely and in a non-judgmental way trying to uh inform them you know to tell them that you shouldn't do it this way this is how you should do it and these are the reasons why it can be quite a tricky sensitive thing to do um and if you're not comfortable doing it then don't um to uh, you don't want to sort of risk getting in trouble or a fight or something like that over it but if you see the opportunity to do it and you feel confident doing it then do that rather than trying to shame them on social media which you know just doesn't really fix the situation at all it's more about educating politely and gently I think um and that's something that anyone who goes out and uses the hills goes out in the hills during this summer can can do if they feel confident doing so
0: yeah no absolutely I I completely agree with that being able to have being able to have conversations with people um, and try and, you know, try and impart your wisdom on them and uh, show them how to do what they're doing a little bit more responsibly. And um, if you recognize they're, they're doing something inappropriate, yeah, being able to have that conversation is a really important thing. Obviously, that's you know, it's a difficult conversation to have sometimes, and it might not be received well. You know, human beings don't actually like getting told off, um, right. But yeah, it's you know have the confidence to, to be able to, to start a conversation. Um, if it goes well, fantastic. You've, you've done a brilliant thing for, for someone. If it doesn't go well, you know, accept your losses. Um, there, there's other resources that they can go to to, to look that stuff up. Um, but on the same side, um, you know, make sure that what you're saying is 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 correct as well. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, there's been a lot of things online late in the last year, especially people... Um, getting very aggressive on on social media posts and everything, um, and saying things that aren't uh, aren't maybe that true. So you know, look up y- your access codes and how to do things responsibly and ethically, and um, any any local restrictions or anything, um, or, or local ethics. Look that kind of stuff up. You know, teach yourself um, how to do this stuff properly, and then you'll be in a much better position to to show others how to do it. So, yeah, I completely agree with that,
3: Hamish. Um, Yes, I guess for me, I think we need to go to the kind of foundation of it. And what the foundation is, is young people and looking after young people's outdoor education. And 2020 has been a horrific year for outdoor education for young people with um, outdoor centres closing across the country, with no kids going on any residentials, no kids really getting any outdoor education whatsoever. Um, I've recently started working really closely with Scout Scotland. Um, I'm lucky enough to become, become the president of Scout Scotland. So, over the next year, I'm going to be working really closely with them to try and boost this as much as I can. Because I think that really is the way to change it all. Like, we as a group know the benefits of the outdoors for us, physically and mentally, but also we know how much of a passion it instills in us to look after the outdoors, to protect it, to respect it. And if we could instill that passion in young people from, you know, primary school kids all the way through, just from them getting exposure in the outdoors, for them kind of generating a love for it. Uh, they're gonna wanna protect it. They're not gonna leave their rubbish lying around. They're not gonna leave tents lying around. Um, so I think really kind of hitting the youth and hitting this kind of outdoor education will absolutely you know, solve this problem in 10, 20 years time. Um, and it's something I think we need to make a priority as a community of outdoor lovers, but also the government need to step in and, and support outdoor centers and support outdoor education really realize I think everyone realizes the benefit of it but nobody really puts the money where the mouth is at the moment
0: yeah 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 absolutely um this year has been pretty disastrous for the for the outdoor education sector um especially you know the, the residential centers are still struggling with things um so yeah we, we all need to give them give them our support and and make sure that you know in the coming in the next couple of years uh, the government do step up just to help support and and build on what we what we had Um like you said if more kids learn how to get out there safely and, and responsibly um, we'll have a lot less issues with adults doing things irresponsibly in the hills Um so yeah like fully support that and yeah the more the more we can do as a community to support that the better
3: yeah totally and people will be more respectful and they'll understand it more but also people are going to be happier aren't they they're going to have better mental health they're going to be physically fitter um and they're going to care more about the environment so i think it will fix everything
1: (laughs) so i was going to say about exploring responsibly and things but i think the other guys have kind of covered that (laughs) The only other thing I would add on that topic is um, things like the Pentland Hills are my local hills um, just outside Edinburgh. And there's uh, programmes like Volunteer Rangers who, I mean, I think there's a long waiting list to, to join, but it just means that if you're out walking in the Pentlands um, and you spot something that needs repaired, whether it's a, a fence or a gate or or whatever, um, there's sort of people that you can go to and report that to. And that sort of helps to maintain and look after the, the, the places that we like to explore and adventure. And, and that's important for me because I can access the Pentlands in lockdown. Um, and it was a friend of mine who who said to me that she was a, a volunteer ranger which sounds incredible and just sounds so cool to be able to to look after the, the outdoor spaces that we access so that's kind of the other thing that I would add on to that But in terms of people who are sort of just beginning to to get outdoors and to go hill walking and, and trying these things for the first time. I think it's really important that everybody as a community, as individuals, are really just supportive and welcoming. I know for me, it's not been a long time that I've been hill walking and it felt really, really daunting to begin with. I lived in Aviemore for a few years before I even considered hill walking. I thought you had to be a professional, thought you had to be an athlete and it was just too intimidating for me. And maybe that's just me as a person that kind of put myself down and, and a lot of self-doubt and things like that. But once I once I got into it and once I started the walking group and started meeting people, realising how supportive everybody else actually was and yeah there's the occasional person who they're just there for bragging rights but most people in the outdoor community it really is a community I know that can be a bit of a cliche word and it can be thrown around really easily but in the outdoors people do just want to support each other and do want to see each other improve and progress and and learn like we were saying before learning from each other so I think it's just important that you know if you if you see somebody who is just starting out or if they approach you for advice it's not a case of putting them down and sort of saying what what you mean you didn't know that or you don't understand that it's actually educating somebody and and offering guidance if you're lucky enough to be in that position where you you know that and you can provide that and um, that'll really help people to feel welcome and to feel like it is a place for everyone to access because it is it's just that we need to be be there to, to support each other and to, to pass on that knowledge and experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I 100% support the, the, the Mountaineering Club, the, the Mountaineering community, the, the hill walking community, the climbing community. We're all just a big family. Um, every time, I, I know personally, every time I see someone out, out in the hills, um, it's awesome because they're out doing the thing that I love as well. It, it's cool that we all get to share share that thing. I think that comes across when you meet someone in the outdoors. Um, there is that kind of uh, mutual respect because you're out there doing the same lovely thing that you enjoy. Um, but yeah, being able to pass on experience. Um, I, I know that the old idea of uh, the, the mentorship um, is slightly fading these days. And I think, it, not maybe not fading, I think it still is there, but obviously there's so many more people getting out um there's a lot of people that aren't getting that so yeah if you see people or people are asking you for help being able to pass on knowledge is is a great thing to do yeah absolutely um and that's really good that all that came up because there was like five questions in a row came up on the instagram live uh, the facebook live on this exact topic well done (laughs) guys topical um let's go for something slightly 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 positive let's bring a positive note into this uh, let's take a question from the, the Facebook live um, so during the the first lockdown uh, climbers and hill walkers were they spent a lot of time reminiscing on their their favorite mountain moments their favorite days out there was loads of posts uh, photos of people going oh this is my great day back in 2008 and and um, you know people really getting back into reminiscing about their favorite days. So go on, tell me, tell me about your favorite day out in the hills. And tell, add to that one, actually, what is your favorite mountain in Scotland?
1: Who's going first?
0: Molly, <laughs> you go oh, first.
3: It's a hard question, because there are so many. Um, <laughs> I guess a couple of days that spring to mind um, were well, similar to the days I spoke about at the beginning when I first started winter climbing. And I had a few days out with this guy, John Gupta, um, and we just seemed to have perfect weather all days. We went out we had maybe like two or three days in a row together, perfect weather. And we did some really fun, great routes on the North face of the bend. And I think just topping out on the North face of the bend when the sun is just setting and when you've been in the shade all day, and it's just incredible. The views on a still day you can see so far and in winter, it's just mesmerizing. So I think a couple of those days, um, where I just had a lot of fun and amazing conditions and amazing views
0: favourite
3: hill? I could say Ben Nevis, couldn't I? It's pretty epic. <laughs> <laughs> and I like big mountains. So.
0: Hamish looks like he's deep in thought. Oh,
2: that's a diff- <laughs> it's a difficult question. <laughs> go on, baby guy, got Iona next. Right, Iona, I think,
0: I leaving to think.
1: <laughs> and I think Hamish should tell us what his favourite mountain has been to photograph, so you can think about that one as well, Hamish. <laughs> um, my my favourite day... I've told this story heaps of times, but I love it. I I said before that I lived in Aviemore for a few years before I started hiking. Um, And I used to see people posting photos of Skorgui and it's a mountain in the Cairngorms that has this beautiful stunning view down over Loch Aine from the top. And I used to see people posting photos and I thought, oh, that would never be me. You'd never get me up a mountain and I'd never be capable of it in the first place. I left Aviemore, lived in Edinburgh and ironically away from the mountains and um, realised once I'd started hiking that actually there was no reason that I couldn't hike up that mountain that I saw everybody else posting amazing photos of, and when I was back in Aviemore visiting one weekend, the weather was beautiful and I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna go for it. And I set out solo hike, I cycled from Aviemore to um, Feshy Bridge, which is where the walk starts from and set out hiking up. And as I was sort of near the top, I could see the cloud coming in and I thought, oh, great. That typical summit photo that I see everybody else get and I'm not even gonna get the view and as I got to the top the clouds started to clear and this stunning view of Loch Eine just came into view be- below and it was absolutely amazing and I took hundreds of selfies at the top and I had my camera my little um, GoPro camera set up on self timer and stuff because I just felt so chuffed that I'd, I'd made it to the top um, and I think it was the The main thing was the fact that I'd spent so long telling myself that I, I was never going to do that. I was never going to be capable of it. Yet yeah, here I was. It was something that I suppose I'd put on a pedestal and it might not be the biggest mountain. It might not be the most exciting mountain to hike up. But for me it had just been on my mind for such a long time and it felt like such a big achievement for me and yeah that just stands out and that was a a couple of years ago now but it's still my favourite my favourite memory of hill walking in Scotland my favourite mountain so far just meant a lot to me personally. Oh
0: Hamish have you got an answer?
2: I think I'm good to go yeah took a lot of thought Uh, it was a hard one good question though Um, uh, so I think my favorite it's not so much a mountain moment but day out in the in scott in the scottish highlands um i think is a fairly recent one actually it was during this summer uh, summer just gone um i was actually i spent quite a bit of time out getting photographs for a friend of mine's book called uh, the great sea cliffs of scotland um so it's photographing a lot of sea cliff climbing um and one of the places we visited to do that is cape rath um, which is up in the north it's kind of the most northwesterly point of the mainland uk Uh, And it has some of the highest sea cliffs in, no, in fact, it has the highest sea cliffs on the mainland in Britain. Um, So up to 250, 300 meters high in places. Um, And we had two trips up there to get photos for the book. Uh, And the first trip uh, I was... I was absolutely terrified because it was uh, most, one of the most ambitious places I'd taken photogra- climbing photographs before. So the whole, day, the whole day, I kind of felt quite on edge because it's quite a big, I had to rig static line all the way down the cliffs. Uh, and so it was quite ambitious access to get in position for it. So but anyway, it all went well. Um, and it turned out that it was a far less intimidating place than I thought. So it meant the second trip, I could kind of relax a bit. Um, the second trip we went up there and, uh, you, the way you get to go to Cape Rack, you kind of drive up to woods Dernest and you get a ferry across the channel. Uh, and then there's this old section of road completely battered up road. Uh, and the local lighthouse keeper comes and picks you up and gives you a lift down the road, um, and drops you off near the body up there. Um, but anyway, on the whole drive in, it was the whole place was completely blanketed in fog and you couldn't see anything. And then we hiked up to the top of the cliffs and as we reached near the top of the cliffs um we kind of got above the cloud and um and and the sun kind of started coming through and um and suddenly we were on top of this cliff looking down and there was this whole sea of cloud underneath us sitting on top of the north atlantic ocean um and then we we sailed in and we proceeded to spend the whole day and it's probably one of the most stunning days i've had out in scotland um so we were climbing on these sea cliffs with this sea of cloud below us um getting photos in a place we'd kind of like become a lot more comfortable with and a lot more acclimatized to the height and the exposure and everything. Um, so it was a really chilled out, fun day with good friends. And as we topped out, the sun started setting and the clouds were still sitting below us. So we had this cloud inversion below us um, and uh, just, you know, the perfect end, a perfect day out doing what I love, taking photos with good friends uh, on sea cliffs in Scotland in a really stunning location. So, yeah, that's probably the most memorable I've had. And a uh, favourite hill. Uh, I did have one.
1: Um, <laughs> um, oh, yes, and Chillac,
2: yeah, uh, which is uh, one of the most dramatic ridge lines in Scotland. Uh, and it's up in the Northwest Highlands, which is one of my favourite parts of Scotland. Um, and it's just an amazing playground of a hill. Um, there's brilliant climbing on it, there's brilliant skiing on it, there's brilliant scrambling along the ridge itself. Uh, And it's just an exciting place to visit because on the drive north from Inverness, you can see it miles away. You can see it hulking off in the distance. It's kind of sitting out on its own and you see this, it's dramatic, like really recognizable ridge line. uh, And you just start to get excited on the drive up, seeing it there and you get closer and closer and then suddenly, wow, it's bang right in your face. Um, And and there's just so much to do up there and it's such a stunning mountain. And I've had some really memorable days, um, particularly last summer. I was up there photographing a friend of mine, Tim, who did the first ever wingsuit base jump in the uk off one of the the pinnacles on the mountain uh i had my first ever experience of uh, steep skiing in Scotland in the northwest highlands up there uh, and yeah i just had some really great days out on the hill so yeah and it's yeah
0: that that is a that is a brilliant hill uh, I, I will admit to having never actually done it my dog my old dog has done it he's been on top of every peak on nancella but i've never managed it
1: can we just take a minute to acknowledge how cool Hamish you are? <laughs> I mean, is anybody else just sitting here like, I've done nothing like that before? <laughs> the
3: answer was definitely worth the wait, Hamish.
1: Um, <sighs> next
0: question from the from the Facebook. Um, can we get Iona's biscotti fudge recipe?
1: Oh my God! If that's Ross that said that, Ross, it is not biscotti fudge; it's biscoff fudge. I don't know how many times I've pulled that boy. I'm not joking.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. Um, right, I'm, I'm going to go a slightly deeper question here. Um, someone from the Tysel page uh, asked: Is there anything that you is there anything that you've really feared? While you're being while you're in the outdoors is there anything you're you're scared of when you're out there and um, and how do you cope with that
3: mm. uh for me yeah everything <laughs> like absolutely everything on all of my expeditions there's this constant fear and i think you need to be a bit scared when you're in the mountains when you're on big expeditions and big hills and when i was in antarctica and i was stuck in um like eight days of really bad weather this big weather front came in and There were days where, yeah, I was terrified. I was inside my tent and the whole thing was going crazy in the wind. Um, I guess my biggest fear is that I'm actually pretty scared of heights. I don't like heights very much and I'm reasonably uncomfortable at heights, um, which is annoying sometimes, especially when I I want to be a mountaineer. Um, And on Everest, it was particularly bad because you got across those horrible crevasses on ladders. Um, So that was always terrifying for me. Um, So, yeah, there's fear always, all the time, but I think is about learning to control that fear and not letting it stop you from doing exactly what you do. Because all fear really is, is, is an emotion and it's there to kind of protect us a little bit and stop us going too crazy. Um, so yeah, learning to control it is one of the biggest things I think I've done on, on this journey.
1: Yeah, um, I am extremely scared of the dark and that's a genuine fear. If I am staying somewhere on my own, I generally sleep with the light on. <laughs> Um, So, (laughs) things like night hikes are um, exhilarating because I'm putting myself completely out of my comfort zone, really trusting in my own ability and my kit and having lots of spare head torches and batteries, just in case. (laughs) Um, The first time I ever wild camped was a solo uh, summit camp, funnily enough, which looking back again as like I was saying earlier you know I really just didn't know too much about what I was doing I'd borrowed a tent from a friend I didn't even really know how to put it up I'd bought a really cheap sleeping bag from Sports Direct on my way to my hike which was terrible and um when I kind of set up this camp on the almost the very top of this mountain um and the sun went down it was the middle of summer so it was it was light really late Um, and then it just kind of dawned on me that I am completely on my own in the dark terrified of the dark and I wasn't so much scared of being on my own because what's the chances of meeting a, a masked murderer on the summit of a remote mountain I mean that's pretty slim but I did sort of start to doubt myself, my kit especially, because I realised it was not up to it. I was freezing that night um, and luckily it was the height of summer. But um, yeah, I, I really doubted my myself there and learned a lot of lessons from that um, and yeah, just there's like Molly says there's there's always fear but I think she's like a life coach in the way that she says that about harnessing that fear and um, not letting it sort of control you and you know things like being really petrified of the dark I don't let it stop me I just try and prepare for it um and it's normally quite fun in the end so yeah don't let it don't let it stop any adventure plans
0: yeah absolutely yeah, I, I agree with that. Don't let your fears
2: stop your plans. Uh, I'm going to make Molly feel better about herself and say I also get scared of heights in certain situations. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's it's uh, it's human nature, isn't it? It's uh, humans are meant to be scared of heights because it's a dangerous situation. But um, and and it, and having that fear helps keep you safe. Um, uh, but you learn the more time you spend around heights, the more you learn to kind of rationalise that fear, and you know that if you're Equipment is functioning as it should be. Uh, for example, you're climbing and you're using, you're putting gear into the rock and you're clipping the rope to that uh, to that gear, and you know that that gear is good. You know that you're not safe, you're not at risk of falling off the side of the cliff. So you learn to switch off to that fear. Um, but then the times that fear will kick in again, a times, for example, where your gear isn't particularly safe or you haven't managed to find something to anchor you, in. and that's where that that fear of heights is kind of a survival mechanism and and keeps you honest and keeps you safe. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's perfectly natural, and I still get it if in a situation where I haven't made myself perfectly safe, then that that kicks in, and that tells me that I need to do something to fix that. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. So yeah, I'd say that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a really interesting question. Um, I like the the way that the question was worded. Was a uh, is there anything you fear? Um, how do you cope with it? And I think for anybody who does what we do anybody who plays the game that we play absolutely is scared of stuff we're very scared of stuff like you said fear keeps you honest fear keeps you sharp and um, i think we all we all need that um, and it's not about getting rid of the fear or not being scared when you're out there it's it's finding the coping me- mechanisms to allow you to calm think about it plan and um, and make the right decisions when when the time comes so yeah i think like I don't think there's any, anybody out there that does what we do and isn't scared of something. We're all scared of something and absolutely we should be. It's a slightly dangerous game we do sometimes. Um, uh, and yeah, it's not... Also,
2: also part of the fun of it, though. You put yourself in a scary situation and you come out the other side of it knowing that you've managed to get through that scary situation and you get a buzz off that. And that's part yeah. of the appeal of doing stuff in the mountains.
0: I mean, what you've just described there is the entirety of Scottish winter climbing. It is just surviving.
2: Well, it can be fun as well sometimes, but yeah, yeah, a lot of it is so. <laughs> Um
0: So one of the questions we got on the, the Instagram the other day, actually, um, and this is, uh, I suppose, slightly more specific to Molly and Iona. Um, Hamish, you might have an, an opinion on this. Um, but one of the questions was, um, have you guys ever felt underestimated uh, as, a, as a female in a pretty male-dominated sport still? Um, or, or Hamish, have you noticed uh, peers of yours being being underestimated because of that? Um, obviously, I think climbing and mountaineering—we've come a long way from the days back in the '50s, but you know, it's still a pretty male-dominated activity that we do. Um, as much as we're trying to fight against that, so have you? Have you felt that?
3: Yeah, many <laughs> times. Yeah, constantly. You, you always are. I think people. Still focus so much on traditional stereotypes of what an outdoors person is, some big bloke with a fancy moustache or something like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but no, totally. You're, you're, you're always underestimated um, as a woman, as somebody that's I don't know, five foot four. I think you're about the same, aren't you, Iona?
1: Um,
0: yes, yeah. five
3: four
1: yeah yeah I'm five foot three and three quarters okay those three quarters make a difference <laughs> I always say I'm five four and a half but I'm not <laughs>
3: um yeah you do absolutely just in general conversations with people in bigger projects um I think for me I've spent so many years trying to get sponsorship for these bigger expeditions that I want to go on And every time I enter a boardroom of people and I try and put my case across for getting a big company to sponsor it, I'm constantly know that they're looking at me and they're thinking, how on earth is this girl gonna ski across Antarctica? Or how on earth is this 21 year old gonna get to the top of Everest? Um, Because all people see is what's on the outside and it takes so much effort to show them what's on the inside and show them what you're actually capable of. Um, So yeah, I'm afraid it happens a lot.
1: I think it doesn't help as well especially I know I speak about social media a lot but that's kind of where my walking group of things comes from but it doesn't help as well when people say that you know other women look great in certain outdoor kits or you know always focusing on how flattering something is or you know it's all about like Molly says, it's all about the physical it's all about that the things that you can see on the outside um And I think maybe we should focus a little bit more on saying things like you look super strong or you look really motivated, you know, things like that, rather than just focusing on the physical. That also applies to men as well, because men can still have a complex about their their physical appearance. And it's not all about being super and super muscly or, you know, things like that to be able to access the outdoors. And I think sometimes people will make a comment that is is well-meaning and of course it is but that that shouldn't always be the focus um I think it should be a little bit more about the spirit of the person or what they're setting out to do and not just how they look when they're doing it even if you're saying it as a compliment or it's something nice it's not always helpful um and it's not always the kind of image or the perception that you're trying to um that you're trying to get across so I think that's that's a big a big part of it as well and even just the unsolicited advice that that people can whether it's men or women you know um, sometimes you you don't want advice on how to do something better or or what you should be doing instead you just want to tell your story and you just want to put your point across and um, mistakes and errors and all and I think that's important because especially with social media people love to tell you what to do better or how you can do it better and that's not always the main aim of the game it's just telling your story and getting it across and you know if you want advice you'll ask for advice you don't necessarily need somebody approaching you saying have you thought about this and why don't you try this because maybe you have and and they don't know what's going on in the background so I think that's important as well it's it's definitely not just about what's on the outside yeah
0: yeah I think like you even you know, not just before someone goes and does something, or or it's afterwards. It's recognizing the achievement first, and um, recognizing what they do and the, and the achievement that they've done. Not not specifically who it is that's done it, um, and or what gender they are, or what background they're from, or anything. Because it doesn't matter who somebody is if they've achieved something awesome. I mean, that's just an awesome achievement, period. Um, and obviously, awesome is a a relative term for everybody. But I think. If someone is psyched that they've done something, that's obviously an awesome achievement for them. Um, there's there's a really good example in in climbing of kind of what you touched on, Iona. Uh, for you know, a, a really strong female climber will come down a half, after having done a route, uh, the rope's still up there, and someone will come up and ask their male belayer for the beta. It's like that happens all the time, and unfortunately, we see it all the time. Um, and it's yeah, there's there's definitely like a a perception um thing that we're, we're still trying to get over i think like i said we i think we've come a long way since the 50s um but you know we've still got a, a good bit to go and um, hamish is this something you've you've come across uh yeah i mean
2: i think it still exists uh for sure um i think that, that as you say i think things have improved a lot um i think it certainly helps i mean the example i can think of is uh is in hill running where, where, where a lot of the, the females performing at the top end of hill running, trail running, fell running, are doing as well as the blokes, even better in a lot of competitions. I mean, Jasmine Paris, for example, she was, there was a point where she was breaking lots of male records. And I think having those kind of figureheads, the figureheads going out and doing that sort of thing is gonna help improve things. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, obviously I th- I, I'm guessing you guys get asked this question Uh, all the time and it's it's something that I we we have to deal with in minor in Scotland uh, and ask ourselves a lot is um what could we do what's give us one um one big thing that you think we could we could do to tackle this kind of thing
3: it's hard really to say one thing because it totally depends on the person it totally depends on their life experiences and if they view it like people are talking about women or people other sorts of kind of minority groups in the outdoors um they don't just have prejudice in the outdoors it'll be in the rest of their life so tackling that is is a pretty big question but i think as hamish said having role models and championing them and pushing them to the forefront and, and sharing their achievements uh like irrelevant of their gender or their background or anything um is is important and probably the, the best thing we can do to, to slowly change those stereotypes yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I completely agree. It's having more, in order to create a more kind of diverse outdoors community in Scotland and the UK, um, then it's having more visible people from different, a different variety of backgrounds out there in positions like, for example, the supported by the zone Scheme or, or sponsored athletes uh, or sort of influencers on social media just people who other people within their own communities could kind of look up to and be like, oh, well, that person's going out and doing stuff in the hills and outdoors. So there's no reason why I can't go and do it myself and, and achieve the same
0: things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, right, one more, one more question from the from the Facebook. Uh, we'll, we'll go for a light one. Um, well, oh, what's your go-to hiking snack? Here we go. <laughs>
1: mine is definitely um biscoff fudge which is what you mentioned earlier (laughs) not biscotti fudge biscoff fudge homemade it's packed with sugar it's really easy to eat and um yeah you can store it in all of like your little pockets in your rucksack and it gives you a good sugar boost when you need it (laughs) that would be my go-to
0: i like it i might have to try that
1: yeah (laughs)
2: Uh, I know this is a popular option cause I gauge what my, what all my climbing partners, what their favorite hill food is. And, uh, uh and Percy pigs would be mine. Um, pigs, the best, yes. yeah, Percy pigs, the best hill suite. Definitely. Um, I take the stance that, you know, a lot of people try to eat healthy out in the hills, but I take the stance if you're miserable shivering, cold, halfway up a winter climbing belay. You want stuff that's going to put a smile on your face and make you feel good. Um, so yeah, for me, Percy pigs.
3: John, um, I think mine would, well, it used to be Snickers. But when I was in Antarctica, I ate a Snickers a day for like 58 days in a row. So now I'm not really into them anymore. Um, So I don't really know what mine is. I've recently, well, I'm trying to go vegan. um, And I haven't, obviously, I haven't been in the hills properly recently. So I'm trying to think of a good vegan snack um, that's going to get me to the hills for somebody that loves chocolate. So if anyone's got any recommendations,
0: help me out <laughs> oh, you go, right comments go wild recommendations for <laughs> vegan snacks
3: vegan snacks is like a Snickers <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: even know what mine would be um I think I, I I'm the same actually I really like a Snickers on the hill I know I remember one day coming back off uh, coming down off uh, Ben A uh, and it'd been a really big day because I wasn't planning on doing the entire ridge I just made a split second decision at the top completely ran out of water ran out of food And on the way down, finding that Snickers in my bag was the best moment of my life. Um, Very, very happy with my Snickers there. Um, Keith Lynch says there's vegan Percy pigs, Molly.
2: Yeah, they're really good, actually. Yeah. Nice.
0: There we go. Problem solved. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Someone says water. I'm not sure that's a snack, that's a necessity, it's not a snack. um cool excellent i think we shall uh we shall wrap it up there uh thank you very much for the three of you for for joining me that was that was incredible uh thank you to everybody that was engaging on the the facebook we had well over a hundred viewers there for for most of it thank you to all the comments and the the questions coming in Uh, a couple of comments saying that you guys are great role models for for especially young mountaineers as well so yeah i think High praise from the community there
3: amazing thank you thank you for hosting it
2: and yeah th- thanks for having us on it's been fun
0: absolutely no worries absolutely no worries hopefully i'll get to chat to you guys again um any other questions that come in on this or people send us comments or anything i'll pass it on uh, on to you guys but yeah again thank you from from myself Callum, Mittering in scotland Clem scotland and Tyson. thank you for joining me and being so open and honest
1: it's for including me.
0: <laughs> You're still just amazed to be here, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Our first live interview. Wow. Uh, I think that went pretty well. I think those guys are awesome people. Big thank you to all three of them for sitting down with me. Big thank you to Mountain in Scotland, Clem Scotland and Taiso for for letting us do this. That was really cool. Um, I want to know what you guys think. Did you enjoy the live interview? Did you watch it on Facebook Live? Um, is it something that you want us to do again in the future? Um, there's loads of people that we could possibly sit down with and do a live interview with. So, yeah, if it's something you, that you guys enjoyed and that you want again, let us know. Send us an email, leave us a comment. Um, but hopefully we'll be back climbing soon so when you do make sure do your buddy checks